Welcome to Belief Beat, where we talk about things that matter with people that matter. Tonight, we're going to be talking about tales that we were told, wisdom and peril and life's lessons. All of us grew up someplace, and last time we talked a little bit uh, in this particular grouping of the neighborhoods we grew up in. And uh, if you haven't guessed by now, the, the group of people I'm talking to tonight are a group that we talked with about a month ago. And it's uh, two folks from uh, our partner congregation, or one of our partners uh, from the Unity Perspective at Cross Lutheran in Milwaukee. And so uh, that's Francis Love, a member at Cross, and then Heather Pratt, who's the vicar or pastoral intern uh, this year at Cross Lutheran as well. So uh, uh, we're partnered with them, they with us, and two people from Unity Lutheran Church who have spent a fair amount of time working in that partnership are Jean Qualman Anderson and her husband Kevin, and they're part of this dialogue as well. And so the extension we're taking from talking about our neighborhoods last time is to talk tonight, uh, we're recording at night, uh, is to talk whenever you listen to this, uh, uh, about the stories we were told growing up, legends, uh, advice, the tales, the, the slang, whatever it was, and did that stand the test of time or did it not? And how has that influenced us? What do we pass on to our next generations as well? So we got a lot of stuff that we can chat about, but it's really good to have you back, Francis. Welcome. Well, welcome. I'm happy to be back. Cool. Jean, how Hello. are you? Doing well. Good, good to be here. Good. Heather, welcome back. Thanks for having me. And Kevin. Hello, it's good to be here. Yeah. Well, Kevin, as long as as long as we just said hello to each other, let's let's start with you. Um, when you think about your growing up years, is there uh, a story, a saying, a slang, something that that you learned that has stuck with you? Um, yeah, I, I don't come from a family of big storytellers, but sayings, a couple of those that I remember most distinctly are a couple: uh, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." And then if you can't say something nice about someone, don't say anything at all. <laughs> and, yeah. and, who would, and who would say who would say that to you? Well, both of my parents would say it, but I, I guess I would have to say I heard it more from my mom. Maybe that's just because as a stay-at-home mom, I saw her more often and spent more time with her. But okay. they both preached the same thing, and it's kind of stuck with me over the years. And tell, tell us a little bit about the context for that. Would they, like, remind you of that when – they felt like you were not doing it or would they say that more as they observed how other people were behaving? Uh, more the former than the latter, I think, uh, okay. especially, especially if you can't say anything nice. And I'm not sure that's always served me well because sometimes you feel like you just don't say, you literally don't say anything then because you can't think of something. You don't point out some issues that might need pointing out at times with, with others, whether they're family or other people. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think, I think they're good things to live by, especially the doing to others. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool start. Francis, how, how about you, thinking of your growing up years? What's stuck with you? Well, uh, actually the same as Kevin, do unto others um, as you would have them do unto you. Um, my mom was one who would always say, and um, I have to say that uh, in the family of nine children, um, 
we all seem to say this same thing to our children. You don't have to experience everything. Ah, yep. Watch and listen. That's what she would always say. And that was, um, you know, when you say, well, so-and-so did whatever they did, you know, and uh, my mom would always say, you don't have to experience everything. Watch and listen. Because, you know, you can learn from someone else's experience. You know, it's that's killing. what she always says. And that's what I always say to my kids. You know, you don't have to experience it. You know, if somebody goes and jumps off of a bridge, <laughs> you know, you know that's going to be a long way down. Now, do you have to experience that? Absolutely not. So, Francis, you know, can I... Can I introduce your mom to my oldest son? Because <laughs> he, he always feels like he has to experience something himself, no matter oh, no. like how problematic no. it may be. No, and and I have grandchildren who are now. Um, well, I have them in all age groups. You know, the tweens, uh, late teens, uh, mid twenties. And uh, that's one of the things that I always say to them. And I find that they say it to their peers. And when they're in conversation. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, that's one of the things that has stuck by and it has gone from uh, myself and, and my siblings. And now um, our kids say it to each other, you know. Ooh, that's... Because it, I figure that's something that, that holds true. Yeah. That's the you know, best. Good or bad. Good or bad. You don't have to experience everything. You know, I, I can find joy in somebody else's experience. Uh, you know, it's really sticking when they start saying it to their peers. That's, that's a good sign. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. Gene, how about you? Oh. No, go on. Okay, okay. Gene, how about you? But it's interesting that you use the word experience, Fran, because my, my word of advice from my mother usually was, um, it, it'll be a good experience. And that she said that to me when there was something I really didn't want to do. Like I, if I didn't want to join the talent show in our little town, she would say, oh, you should do it anyway. It's, it'll be a good experience. Or um, joining forensics in high school, which... I totally, Fran, I would have enjoyed seeing somebody else do forensics rather than me do forensics. <laughs> the, the only good thing was I wasn't good enough to be an actual forensics person. I was an alternate. So uh -huh. I had to spend all the time just hoping nobody else got sick so I didn't have to do it. But I got to go to the practices and I guess it was a good experience. But so often my mom would say, just try it. It'll be a good experience. Oh, so often okay. that it, I kind of knew that, oh, here we go again. This is going to be something. Actually, it's very similar to what we say now as when something's out of your comfort zone, you should step out of your comfort zone. That's what she was saying in right. 1970s terms. But um, I think it's, it's, probably, it's probably good advice. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's good advice. I mean, you know, um, It's always good, I guess, to try something. Um, if you haven't seen anything that would have you not do it, then I guess it's okay to do that. Mm -hmm. you, 
you don't know to even try it or to experience. But if you've seen somebody who's gone through something and it wasn't real nice, you know, chances are you can let that one go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think both those sets of expressions probably depend on the context a little bit. Yes. Exactly. Hey, Heather, how about you? Stuff that you remember from growing up years that stuck a little bit one way or the other. Well, it's interesting as I was preparing for our chat this evening, my brain sort of went in a different direction than necessarily, um, you know, sayings of wisdom passed down. I started thinking about uh, some of the things that I was taught in my household because uh, my father was very vociferous about being a politically conservative person. And so there was one right way to be, and that was politically conservative. And so um, there were some things that went along with that, that I found over time that uh, there might be things that might actually be the true conservatism, such as, um, you know, whatever, like less taxes and blah, blah, blah. But there was so much more that went along with it culturally, uh, things like, oh, Ronald Reagan was the best president ever, and Rush Limbaugh is amazing, and um, feminists are um, ugly women who can't get dates and should have long, women should have long hair. Like, I'm, I'm gonna keep it clean today and just go with that. And, and the people having this conversation with me can see, I obviously didn't listen when it came to women should have long hair. Um, I've certainly rebelled. And so I feel like when I left home, I had as much learning to do as unlearning to do um, in terms of the things that I was taught. And um, there were definitely um, my, uh, my father, you would ask the question about like, who would say some of these things and it was my father. And um, so he and I were a little bit like oil and water because even at a young age, I would say, well, that's not right. No, that's not right. And about some of the things and then others, it took me a while to realize how wrong he was. So anyway, um, yeah, so that's my story. So when you say at a young age, you, you started noticing stuff that you kind of disagreed with, like define oh. young age for us. Oh, pretty young, like age six. Um, oh, I've always okay, really. been the uh, observer kind of a child, you know, would kind of sit back and make my observations of things. Then even at a pretty young age, I already figured out, um, yeah, I don't think I want to follow in those footsteps. I think, I think that might not be wise. So, yeah. And was, did you have parents who kind of like to debate that stuff or did your disagreements with them uh, bother them oh that bothered them yes that quickly dis dissension quickly got squashed so um but that didn't mean that i didn't still try so um yeah there weren't i i found over the years that there really weren't debates and and i actually enjoy really i enjoy looking at different people's perspectives and trying to understand where they're coming from to try to see if there's common ground so we can work together on things. You know, I enjoy things like that, that um, 
I think our conversations would have been much more fruitful if that was something that was possible mm -hmm. back then. That's the nicest way I can say things. And if I don't have anything nice to say, I won't say it at all. And that's wow. the nicest way good, I can say it. Good cross learning within the, yeah. uh, within the conversation group here. So, uh, so Kevin has already talked a little bit about how he didn't have a lot of storytelling in his family. Uh, Fran, in, in yours, was there, uh, so you've talked about your mom. Um, was anybody else kind of a source for wisdom for you growing up within the neighborhood or the household or well, family? Well, you know, uh, growing up in the neighborhood um, where we grew up, um, everybody, and they all pretty much had the same thing to say. I, I sit up at, and now and I think about Mrs. Ford or Mrs. Mayweather, you know, I, I think about uh, Miss Louise, you know, who are ladies who lived in the neighborhood. And when we grew up in our neighborhood, you know, every mother was your mother. Ah. You know, every father was your father. Every aunt was your aunt. And when they said something, you listened. Because if you didn't, you know, corporal punishment was the law of the neighborhood. And uh, once that cor corporal punishment was instilled, um, you usually begged the person who did it not to tell your parents, because then you knew you were going to get a double dose, uh, you know, maybe so they, not so much for what you did, but for the fact that you disrespected your family in doing it. Uh, you understand? So there so was permission, the was. there was permission in the neighborhood, so like, if you did something around the next door neighbor, they wouldn't tell your parents, they'd just punish oh, you themselves. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. And that was everybody in the neighborhood. You know, um, it was just something it was just a given. So you always had to be on your best behavior. You and, know. And so the good thing about that in retrospect is this neighborhood kind of accountability and yes. that uh yes. the getting hit maybe not so good or i don't know what do you think about that in retrospect um i feel that um for me uh it was a good thing the people that i talked to who are in my age group but we talk about it we talk about it in terms of how it made us better people mm -hmm. because I was the kind of kid and we all laugh about this because you know you usually only got it for, for whatever it was that one time yep you know you, di you didn't get uh it wasn't like these kids nowadays they're always on time out and it's usually for something they've done they've been swearing or they've been mean to their sister or whatever they've done and that's over and over again but if you got your butt whooped one good time, you didn't get it for the same thing twice. It stuck. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I still kind of grew up in that era a little bit too, but I don't think in our neighborhood there was ever permission for like a neighbor to do it. And oh God. Our our approach was, you know, they'd tell your mom and dad and then they'd then they'd no. do something. No. In the 50s and 60s coming up, that was the neighborhood. Yeah. You know, 
and everybody in the neighborhood, in most neighborhoods, the dads wouldn't do it. The dads would tell their wives, you know, or they tell the parents, but the women would do it. Oh, interesting. Okay. If the women, oh yeah, if the women witnessed you doing something wrong, you know, and that goes all the way back to, I, I hate to say bring this up, but I'm going to just say it, in the African villages, you know, the men were out hunting and stuff all the time, so the women were in the village with the children, and it was up to them then to be responsible for teaching the children, you know, how to behave, what, you know, how to respect people, you know, yep. to learn in terms of, of getting some education that was offered in the village and everything, so they didn't have time to wait for the man to come home because the men right. might be out for, you know, for a long period of time. So I think that whole thing in the neighborhood came from that. Mm -hmm. And that the men, when they came in, they were told what had gone on, but they knew that the women had taken care of it while they were away. Right, right. So that makes me think, like, Jean, you grew up in a small town. Um, farm, yeah. Farm. Farming community. So was, was there kind of like cross-household accountability at all where you grew up? Like everybody knew what was going on and if you did something wrong, your parents were sure to find out? Or how, I think we, we were a little too far apart from each other. Oh, and okay. there weren't girls in my neighborhood, unfortunately. So I didn't have a <laughs> sunset. I didn't have a lot of playmates. My playmates were my cousins because the kids in the neighborhood were, well, I mean, I guess if the, the we had a neighbor boy and he had actually two cousins from West Bend who came to visit. And then I would go and play with them when they came. But no, there was, the parents didn't get involved like that in discipline. Okay. Um, and I think when it was my aunts and uncles, maybe I was just such a good kid I didn't need to be disciplined. I don't know. I don't remember <laughs> that kind of thing. I, I believe that's true, Jean. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I'm being facetious. Jean has forgotten all of that stuff. Yeah. Kevin, how, how about you? I, I can't remember where you grew up. Um, Small town. What were, the, what were the neighborhood rules in your place? Mm, small town there I had a couple of friends in that were nearby that we play together I don't remember that there was I think there wasn't any discipline by certainly no physical discipline by neighboring parents and I think it was pretty much the communication back to your own parents that that was the model that was followed yeah um, and you did nothing wrong is that what you're also telling us well of course that, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think he was probably sneaky <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I don't, I'm sure that I would have gotten told by a neighboring parent, do this or don't do that if we were doing something wrong. But it wasn't from a disciplinary standpoint that there was nothing along those lines, I don't think. More just follow the rules and, and you'll be okay. Heather, got anything to add to this little conversation in terms of your, your upbringing and world? Yeah, I do. I was thinking back and, um, you know, I, uh, I was not uh, quite as well behaved as Jean was. I, um, <laughs> and, you know, I didn't need 
neighbors to snitch on me because my younger brother took care of that oh, all the time man. already. So I just, you know, uh, tried to get away with it, but never did. And so, but no, we didn't have uh, the the neighbors necessarily that would help, uh, but family members, other family members like grandmothers um, let me know what was up when I was, uh, you know, acting out of line or whatever. Um, but I'm trying to think, because we lived a couple of different places. I lived in, a, in the city at first, and then we were kind of out in the rural country where we were just kind of outside, um, you know, climbing trees and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, usually my brother was the one tattling on me. <laughs> if you're listening now, I still remember. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Send, send the link as soon as this goes up, Heather. Yeah, right, exactly. Listen to that like about the 20-minute mark. Oh, yeah. So, uh, one of the things, so this leads to kind of my next topic. Um, so, we, I was saying before we started recording this that I was, came from a family where everybody talked, lots of stories. And one of the things that kind of cut both ways was... Uh, my dad's side of the family in particular were great nicknamers, which I think is a cool thing. Um, if you're good at nicknaming, you kind of get the essence of somebody and you can kind of poke them a little bit in a good way and encourage them. Um, the, the bad side uh, of, of that was uh, he also had a uh, racially offensive nickname for every ethnic group imaginable. and and uh, used them with much frequency uh, throughout my growing up years. Uh, but I've, I've always thought those were kind of link things, that there were these, these names for everybody, um, good and bad. And, and, you know, so part of my growing up has been trying to retain the good part of that while not retaining the bad part of it. Uh, any of you have experiences like that uh, growing up where, um, uh, either either stuff that you know it's it's good you've left it with some previous generation because that was not a good thing to say or be I mean Heather you've kind of alluded to that a little bit with oh, like, yeah. politically some of the stuff you were learning yes there was so much that was said in my house that was so politically incorrect and just wrong you know sexist and racist and everything else um was what was said and what i noticed too was that um he was an equal opportunity uh whatever word you want to use uh for it because um, it was also different um, ethnicities, and some of them were even the ethnicities that we were because of my mom, you know, like Polish people and this, and like no one was left out of who he had opinion and an opinion about. And, um, and so it's so it does not surprise me at all when I see the things that Donald Trump says, and I've can get political on here. I'm not wearing my pastor hat at the moment, but I, um, I, it doesn't surprise me at all because that was part of what what went hand in hand with being politically conservative in my household. Not all households are that way. I have friends whose 
families are not that way, but in our household it was. It was part of, um, it's part of this, um, I guess, lack of empathy for people in the situation that they're in. You know, they, they, did, they did something to deserve that and they need to work harder. Like that all gets wrapped up in this thought that we all have the, the lot in life that we deserve and earned. And that is not the case. That is not true. Um, but that is how it all gets wrapped up. There's, there's meaning that gets associated with it of, oh, well, they're that way. They're in that position because they're like this. And, um, and so all of those, you know, nicknames and, and um, quote unquote jokes and things like that um, really kind of just are there to reinforce that hierarchy of this is why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. That's my two cents. Yeah. Yeah. A uh, probably familiar story in a lot of households growing up. Um, anything similar to that in yours, Francis? Well, um, or, or not? When I, well, when I think back, I was just thinking about this, and and I talk to my uh, grandkids about it all the time. But it's about um, when we were coming up, it was the N word, and the N word was something that we just kind of said, and uh, you know, you heard adults say it, and so of course, you know, the kids were picked up on it. And uh, what I found is that the older that I've gotten, the less acceptable it became to the point where now it's, it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when you hear the kids say it and they're saying it in song, it's so hard. It's a very hard thing to try to get them to understand how even in song, even in death, there's just no place for it. You know, and and the price that was paid for that, right. you know, uh, and so, um, but that's the one thing that I can take um, from being a child and coming up and thinking, even as a young, you know, when I was my, well, younger than my son, maybe my grandkids age, you know, we threw the N word around all the time, you know, didn't think anything of it, didn't think how we were contributing to you know, um, the hurt, you know, that came along with that. But as I got older and as I began to read more and to uh, think about it and listen to people's stories, then you realize how very hurtful and there is no way to put it so that it becomes something that's okay or acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so that's the one thing that came, you know, I mean, you know, we had all kinds of nicknames, June Bug, you know, uh, Sis, uh, you know, uh, Buddy, you know, all those kinds of names, you know, uh, but uh, the N-word was something that uh, I can remember hearing, and there was never, ever anyone of color that, I'm speaking of people of color where I went, where I grew up, that people ever, you know, looked at it in a negative way. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, you know, and now it's something that's totally unacceptable. I tell my, my grandchildren all the time that there's, there's just no way and there's nothing. I don't care if you're singing. I don't care what you're doing, that that is going to ever be acceptable. Yeah. 
Yeah, isn't that one of the hard things? That I, I think anytime there's one generation, not just one generation, but a generation that experiences something that, um, you know, they really pay a price for or is painful, um, but it's really hard sometimes to communicate that to mm -hmm. the next generation. And in a way, it kind of goes back to the very first question we, we had, which is, you know, you don't necessarily have to experience everything. Right. right. And, you know, the, the, the N word and everything that it implies uh, mm -hmm. maybe is one of them. Hey, how about you, Kevin? Um, uh, anything that you're glad you've left behind from your upbringing or you wish you could leave behind? Well, just growing up in a small town in Wisconsin with very little diversity of, of anything, growing up with people that looked like me, talked like me, went to the same kind of church as I did. There's just so much you're not exposed to as a small, as a child, you know, that you don't even realize is, is out there, you know, a world to learn about. And I guess that's where kind of going back to do unto others kind of makes sense to me. It's like <clears throat> treating others as you want to be treated is just kind of a true and basic thing to follow it and it's kind of stood the test of time because when I first learned that I had one set of understandings of how the world worked and as I've matured and grown of course you get experience you experience a lot of different things a lot of different people a lot of different ways of life and whatever but treating others as you want to be treated still addresses things like racism and, and, and the other otherisms that define the differences between us. Um, and I think it's a key to, to employ that saying to do it, not just in direct action with others, but also in your thoughts and attitudes and perceptions. Yeah. And it? it's been a challenge for me at times, but I just think it's been good guidance over the years. And I guess one thing I can remember as a kid, my minor, minor point, but um, jokes, you know, there were jokes that, that you learned as a kid about other people different than you that at the time I thought seemed relatively harmless. And of course, now I look back and say, well, you know, I, I'm sure I repeated those and I look back now and realize I shouldn't have, but it's just one of those things you learn as you grow and get exposed to different environments and people and ways of life and whatever. It's kind of cool though, I mean, in the sense that how, you know, you're, you're raised in this, in a sense, very narrow environment, and yet that same environment gave you a handle on how to live in much broader circles. And, you know, it, it comes from our, you know, Judeo-Christian tradition uh, that teaches us to, you know, meet each person as the neighbor they are. And, uh, it's a wonderfully universal uh, ethic in any situation. Um, Gene, anything to add on that topic of? Just um, a little different take is in my generation, how it was when I was a kid, how kids were seen compared to nowadays because when we would go to, oftentimes we'd get together with other families, adults and kids, and um, 
on the drive there, my dad would say, children are to be seen and not heard. Has anybody else heard that expression? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You have heard that too? Okay. <laughs> thought it was only me. Um, and, and then he'd also say, Res respect your elders. And I actually, I was never was really offended by hearing that. It just meant that when you went into somebody's house, you don't draw attention to yourself as a child because it's like the parents are the ones that, you know, they're there to socialize. The kids go in the other room or outside and play. And um, if you eat, you sit on a separate table. And I don't think my dad meant anything I know he, I mean, he probably heard this from his parents. And I know that it's not that he didn't regard children because once he had grandchildren and it slowly evolved, you know, they definitely ran the show. You know, you'd go to visit and the kids were the center of attention. But when I was growing up, it was definitely um, impressed that you shouldn't take attention, you, you don't call attention to yourself. And I think that's something that probably stuck with me, even though I'm 62 years old. <laughs> Don't draw attention to yourself. And I think the respecting the elders actually was a, that was a nice thing to hear growing up. You know, you respected elders, whether they're relatives or neighbors, older neighbors. A lot of our neighbors were older than my parents. Um, and just that concept that you revere older people. So that's has stood the test of time. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we're kind of a youth-obsessed culture, and I think we've we've lost, you know, some sense of the respect for older generations and kind of rush by them as opposed to pause to, you know, listen and acknowledge and and learn from. That's a we can add that to our list of uh, potential topics for the future. Uh, just a couple other little things that I'm kind of curious about. Anybody, this now is getting off from. Uh, you know, kind of social cultural things more in the direction of any like really uh, kind of quirky, I don't know, home rem remedies or uh, whatever that was common in your household growing up. There were a few in mine, which is why I'm, I'm asking the question. So I'm just curious if there are any in, in any of your households. Oh, gosh, yes. What what would what, you have, Fran? Uh, well, there's... Um three that that i that come to mind i'm going to name them pretty quick and that was using vinegar on uh cotton for a nosebleed oh okay yes uh and that's something i'll tell you uh, my daughter who had sickle cell disease and she used to always have these horrible nosebleeds and so yeah. that's what i told the doctor that we used to use in our household they would take the um the little gauze and they would soak it in the in the vinegar yep. and they would tack and they would tack her nose with it yeah uh, dr howell did that at children's hospital and it worked and they were like oh my gosh you know <laughs> they were just really astounded by that uh the other thing was um using your earwax for a cold sore if you have huh. a cold does sore it work and you have these, oh absolutely huh um, there was a nurse who worked with me and linda uh you know she would always get these awful awful cold sores yeah. and so we were telling her we we're like you know why are you buying all this stuff all you need is earwax and she was like no so there were four of us and we all had to hold her down while one person went in her ear with an applicator tip <laughs> and got the earwax out and we put it on her lip and um her cold sore was 
you know, significantly better the next day. And within three to five days, something that would take her a couple of weeks was already cleared up. Wow. And she couldn't believe it. Yes. And the that, other thing. That's fascinating. Kind of, Keep going. Yes. And there's one more. And this is funny. Um, you know, back when women would have babies and their breasts would become engorged with milk. And you would take um, a, a brick, you know, a little brick. And you would heat it on the stove until it got really hot. And then you put it in a plate and you had her put her breast, stand with her breast over that brick, and it would draw the milk out of the breast and dry them up. Now, and, don't ask me how it worked, but it did work. And, and, and you'd do that once, or would that be a process you'd have to repeat several times? Well, it, whenever they would become engorged. Okay, okay. You know, and, and, you know, because sometimes they would become so filled and then, you know, you would draw it out. When they start to fill up again, you would do that. And before your third time, you had no milk. That's for people who were not breastfeeding. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Wow. It worked. All, all three it really of those worked. are. All three of those are. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Anyway. So those are the things. And I use those even... Um, when my daughter had my grandchildren. Yes. The one with the breast milk. To dry up the milk. Yes. Wow. Can anybody else match any of those? <laughs> Not really. I have, I have the one with the um, hot water, lemon, lemon juice, honey, brandy, and hot water if you had a cold. That's right. Even if you were five years old. That's yeah. right. Everybody would get the brandy. Uh, yeah, I, and I, then I, oh, keep so going, Jean. I was just the other one. That's a little bizarre. If you had a a burn on your skin, my grandma would put butter on it, which is not what you're supposed to do. I googled it, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's it can do more harm than to help it. But she would always get out the butter if there was a burn. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow, all of those make me feel kind of like uh, small for my. So my family, <laughs> I ask is in my family we had some like some alcoholic beverage was the solution to everything, and oh. uh, it, so like blackberry brandy was uh, for diarrhea, and um, uh, brandy was just like for everything like if you were everything. sleepless or had an upset stomach. So anyhow, the list could go on, but uh, not nearly as good as the earwax or the hot brick. Uh, or <laughs> that, man, those are awesome. Um, then come back to your, uh, so I got one, I, I'll, I'll go around the circle and take your pick of one of these two as we kind of wrap up. Either, what was, what was something that really worried you or scared you as a kid? That's that's one question you could answer. The other one is, when you when you think of our our wonderful faith tradition and which is just filled with stories. I mean, the Bible is just great storytelling. Um, is is there one of those stories that that you just love to pass on to the next generation when you have a chance? So, either something you were really worried about or scared about as a kid, or 
one of the great stories of scripture that you love to share. Heather, are you willing to take a shot at one or the other of those? And uh, I guess I'll go with the one for the Bible story. It, and the one that I would choose because I feel like for so much of my life, I did not meet a Jesus who was still very active in the world today and working to address injustice. Um, so like scripture, like the scales fell from my eyes and I saw scripture in a whole new light and Jesus in a whole new light when I met that Jesus. And so I think the story that I would choose to tell is probably the story of Mary's Magnificat um, because it's, it starts to introduce some of those themes about casting the mighty down from their thrones and uplifting the lowly. And, um, and so I love that as I'm uh, you know, teaching my son, not only am I trying to pass on some of the wisdom that I've learned um, in this life, but that I also get to introduce him to that Jesus. So, yeah. Yeah, isn't that interesting how you can grow up with one uh, understanding of scripture and, and then there's just lots there that I, I think in, at some level all of us don't learn when we're little and all of a sudden it's a whole new world. Um, Jean, how about you? Something that works? I would say, or, oh. Or, uh, and, take your pick. Take your pick. Matthew, Matthew 25 where the, the, the parable of when Jesus said, when you, you, you fed me when I was hungry, I can't do this in, mm -hmm. I could look it sheep up here. The goats. Yes, the sheep and the goats. And you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You welcomed me when I was a stranger. Um, Kenny has them all covered. What's the other one? Um, oh, when you were sick, I was, um, you visited me when I was in prison and the sheep said, when did we do that? Or the people said, when, when did we do that? When you did it for the least of me, you did it for me. I just feel like that summarizes the gospels and our mission and is something to live by and pass on to the next generation. And that's just really meaningful to me. Yeah. It, uh, I think sometimes people are scared by that one because of the what happens with the goats. But uh, to me, it's an encouragement that you know every day we have a chance to to both see and then be there for you know, brothers and siblings and sisters everywhere. Francis, how would you answer? Well, mine isn't a Bible story, although the one that Jean brought up is one that I think about all the time. Uh, but the one thing that uh, for me is uh, in growing up from the time I remember when I was six years old um, up until my mid to late teens, um, my biggest fear in all the world, in the entire world, was of white people in the South. Mm. And whenever you know, we spoke about because a large majority of our family was still in the South. 
and with all the things that you would hear the adults talk about that was happening in the South and the things that you would uh, see on TV, I was just so very fearful of white people in the South because I did have relationships with white people in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee in particular. And if they felt that way or were, you know, hateful or whatever, um, I never felt that from them. Mm-hmm. So my biggest thing was, you know, how can people be so entirely different? You know, and yeah. that's the one thing was for me was that fear, you know. Um, I, this is a cute little song, story. My son had a little friend and his little friend's name was Jeff. And Jeff and my son were not just best friends. They looked alike, except that Jeff was a little white boy with blonde hair and blue eyes. And he had deep, deep dimples. And my son was a a black child with a a light caramel complexion, sandy hair, Uh and deep, deep dimples. And they did everything together. Everything to the point where they'd be playing, you know, if they had the measles or the chicken pox or something, they'd find a way to get together. So, um, and when his grandmother, Jeff's grandmother came to visit them, she made the statement in the house and Jeff heard her when she said, oh, you know, you're going to have to be careful now that they're moving in. They're going to be stealing your things and everything. And little Jeff took off to our house and he rang the doorbell and he said, oh, Mrs. Love, Mrs. Love, is Michi here? And I said, sure, Jeff, come on in. And Jeff came and he said, Michi, hurry up, hurry up. We got to gather our stuff up because those people are coming and they're going to steal off our things. <laughs> Wow. And, and even now, you know, um, yeah. I laugh about that, you know. Yeah. And the funny thing about that, John, is my son told me today that Jeff called him up. And and his friend has since become more a, of a, I don't want to say a militia or any of that, but he's pretty strong on the other side of the track now. And, wow, but, he, really? but, him, but him and my son are still friends yeah you know it's the weirdest thing but he told my son he said uh i'm gonna come by and pick you up uh we're gonna have to go to the shopping and what he told him was he wanted my son to purchase another gun because he said the the talk among the militia and and the people that he knows is that there's going to be some kind of civil unrest following the election you know, and that was just this morning. Yeah. But uh, that whole story of when they were little bitty kids up until when my son told me this evening about the fact that he had called him, you know, and they actually did go gun shopping together, which was kind of, you know, weird. But yeah, um, yeah but that's, that's the story. You know, that's for me, you know. Yeah. Well, it's cool that you apparently when you were little had already learned empathy that you could hear these stories of bad white behavior and be afraid for, you know, your family in the South. That's, uh, that's a cool thing. Rest of the story, not so good, but that part's cool thing. Mm -hmm. Kevin, what crosses your mind, either the fears or the, the stories? Well, the Bible story that comes to me, and I'm probably repeating a theme here, but 
Um, I find the simple story of the Good Samaritan to apply to so many situations and attitudes that we confront. Um, I mean, the message is that we're all equal in God's eyes and all should treat each other with dignity, empathy, and respect. And it just seems like that's, it's a simple story. I'm a simple man. <laughs> I, I, it just has so much meaning to me um, in so many aspects of life that it's something to follow and, and uh, carry on with your family. Mm-hmm. Well, are you a simple man, Kevin, or do you just have some depth? I think they're, I think they're sometimes a little, a little similar to each other. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, 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 what I love about the Bible is, you know, you won't read something for a year or two and then you read it and it's just so good. So I think for people who are listening, the story I'd end with was one that I just did a Bible study on, which is the book of Esther, which uh, is just a great read. I mean, it is so good. And, and it has in its fourth chapter, it has this kind of turning point verse where Queen Esther is going to kind of hide her Jewishness and as a result, perhaps not help her own people in a time of need. And uh, her uncle, you know, says to her, you know, for a time such as this, Esther, you were maybe made to speak. And that pricks her conscience and uh, she acts on behalf of saving her people, um, which is a, powerful faith witness but it's it's also to me so cool that's done in the midst of a story that is uh so amazingly and and well told and to me that's our that's why our faith is still so alive these stories are still a part of us and they come alive with every new generation and i don't know how you overcome some of the negative stuff we all inherit from our past um but maybe the way you overcome it is with some really good stories that point us, you know, Kevin, in a simple direction to something really basic. Be a, a good neighbor and uh, be the one who takes the initiative. So, hey, everybody, it's been, oh, go, go for it, Fran. I was just going to say, you know, you watch and you listen. And in doing that, you learn. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Learn about others, learn about yourself, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Life hey. is an ongoing education. You don't stop learning until you check out to the hotel, big hotel in the sky. A perfect place to end. Uh, <laughs> hopefully anybody who's been listening to us has enjoyed it, has enjoyed the conversation, uh, maybe learned a little something. And uh, I think the five of us learn a little something every time we get to talk with each other as well. So I really appreciate uh, Gene Qualman Anderson, uh, Francis Love, Heather Pratt, Kevin Anderson uh, for being a part of this conversation tonight. Uh, We'll join you again, God willing, in four or five, six weeks with another topic. Uh, But for now, thanks for having uh, joined us for Belief Beat.